Here, brethren, we um, have heard testimonies about what God's done in Christ. And um, today I want to uh, continue this uh, and talk about the grace that teaches. Grace is a teacher. I'll read this in Titus 2, 11 through 15. This is, will be what we're focusing on. For the grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people, zealous of good works, These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. The thing is that God's done everything right. God's done everything perfect. See, there is no, there, God is, is the, the authority on everything. And so what he's done in his people, he's showing and he's exhibiting his grace. He's exhibiting his ability to save a people that were unsavable. See, on their own, there wasn't anything we could do. We were dead in transgressions and sins. We were dead, in other words. We couldn't respond to God, is the point. See, we were walking around. You know, you see these things about zombies, you know? That's just a myth. But see, in there were people really, there's people really walking around, but they're dead already. They're dead to God. They, they can't respond to Him. In other words, God could boom something out of heaven and they would say, did it thunder? They can't respond. But see, the grace of God finds its application in every aspect of the believers. As you look at the believer, one who's really trusted in God, you'll be able to see an aspect of God in them. See, he really has put His Spirit in you. Now, when you react, when you respond, see, really, people ought to be paying more attention to believers. They really ought to be. Because, see, a believer has been put on this earth to testify of something that's unseen. And so, see, God has His representatives all over. He's planted them. Himself. And so see, what is grace? Well, if you look it up in the, in the definition, it says goodwill, loving kindness, favor, acceptance, and that's all good. This is God's grace has been copiously poured out upon, upon man. The fact that He hasn't already destroyed the earth is just a, an aspect of His mercy. God's merciful. He's long-suffering. He's not willing that any should perish. But see, there's a specific thing called grace that he, he shares with his people. Grace. Now, the first instance in scripture that we find of the word grace or the, 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 is in Genesis 6-8. It says, but Noah found grace. Now, was, was Noah looking for grace? You see, Noah found it. In other words, God chose one man out of the, who knows how many people were, millions of people that were living at that time. But he chose one man. One man. If he hadn't have found grace, well, it wouldn't be a population. See, the thing is that God was, 
God was going to judge something that was so corrupt. I mean, the whole world had become so corrupted, God was going to judge it, right? But he says, Noah found grace, where? In the eyes of the Lord. Now, see, I, I actually read some people that said, well, see, Noah was really just like the rest of them. God just, that's not true at all. No. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In other words, God looked upon him and he was the only one that he could use in this project. He was going to destroy the whole world. But he saved, he, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. God looked across the vast population of the world and he showed grace to one man. See, why? Because he was worthy of it. This is why. See, so see, it is possible for us to live and thrive in a place where everyone else is abandoning faith. So you can know as an example, you can be righteous even when everyone else is unrighteous. That's right. And so God, his, you think how pleasant this was for God. He, 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 he could see God. He could fellowship with God, with Noah. Now see, Noah didn't have what we have, but he, he found the grace of God. Well, he had a pretty big project too. Think about it. And, and, and the point, I want to make a couple of points here at the beginning. That Noah, Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, but look what God did with one person that he found grace with. Alright? One person. And so what did God do? Well, immediately, because Noah was accepted, his whole household was saved. Alright, now, it, it, we got another example in Genesis 19-17 of, of Abraham. Now see, Abraham, Abraham knew the Lord. Abraham knew the Lord. And anyway, it's what it reads. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad that he said, this is, this is talking about, um, um, oh, I'm sorry, brother. Lot. This is talking about Lot. Now, Lot, remember, he was saved out of, out of, uh, Sodom. But see, we're gonna find out that Lot was saved out of Sodom because of Abraham. And so, see, the, the whole world was saved in, in, in essence because of what Noah, Noah was found grace. Now here, we're going to see one man and his whole family wasn't even saved. Came to pass when they had brought them forth that he said, escape for thy life. Look not behind thee. This is the angel talking. Neither say thou in all thy, in, in all the plains. Escape to the mountains lest thou be consumed. And Lot said unto them, Oh, not so, my Lord. Right? Behold, now thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou hast shown unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountains, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold, now the city is near. Now this was one of the cities that was slated for destruction. This was another city, Zora. This is what he said. And this is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow this city for the which thou hast spoken. So the entire city of Zorah really owed their lives to Lot's request, right? Lot made a request and say he had found favor 
in the eyes of the Lord, but technically we'll see in Genesis 19.29 that it was the favor that he had for Abraham. All right? And it came to pass when Abraham when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Abraham. And because he remembered Abraham, he saved Lot. And because Lot made a request to go into Zorah, he saved Zorah. Now, I want to make the point to see God saves some on the behalf sometimes of one. And we find in salvation, this is exactly what God did. Christ was the one. And because Christ was obedient, because Christ, God, God looked at him. And because of that, he could save all those who believe in him. Well, for the grace of God that bringeth salvation, it hath appeared unto all men. Now, see, not all men can see it, but it has appeared. It's available. See, God's grace is available. What's hindering men? They don't believe. They're not interested in the grace of God. And so even though it's available, the fact that it's available, it will bring a greater condemnation on them. They had the opportunity. It was there. Jesus took away the sins of the whole world. And he says, whosoever will. So you see, people get lost, they get mixed up in that, and they say, well, but there's some people that God can't say. Well, see, that's not how it's represented. He says, whosoever will. You'll have access to the tree of whosoever will. Do you want it? Well, see, now he's going to show that the ones that wanted it are the ones who he called. But see, this is a higher view. Down here where we live, do you want it? It's the question. Amen. Do you want God? Do you want, do you want your sins to be taken away? Some people are not interested at all in their sins being taken away because that's the very thing they have pleasure in. They love sin. I can remember. You know, and, and it's, see, it's not so cut and dry. When you're living in sin, you don't think you're living in sin. It's just that, why do you want to spoil all my fun? They don't realize that fun is going to cause God to cast them into the lake of fire. And this is the job of the preacher. To let them know God. Speak for God. And what God said, repent. Every one of you. It wasn't like... Well, every just just you, just you repent. Can you hear his voice? Can you see that God's love is being demonstrated in salvation? But it's also his wrath is being demonstrated. God will not. He will not save someone who turns their back on his son. He won't do it. The gospel has been preached throughout the whole world. Yet those who do not believe will be judged because they did not submit. See, God's gracious. He's long-suffering. And yet, sin will cause such a condition that you can't even see what's right in front of you. In the first ten verses of this chapter, Paul's revealing to Titus the practical applications of sound doctrine. Sound doctrine does have practical applications. In other words, if you say, well, I'm a believer, your life better reflect it. Because you've taken in your mouth the name of Jesus. And it better affect who you are and what you do and where you go and what you hear. God's going to hold us all accountable. It's just the way it is. What do you say? 
Hold fast. This is 2 Timothy 1.13. Hold fast. Don't let it go. The form of sound words. Which thou hast heard of me in faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus, that good thing which was committed unto thee, keep by the Holy Ghost which dwelleth in us. Sound doctrines are made up of sound words that must be said. They've got to be spoken out loud. You say, well, well I, I, I believe the gospel. But you, if you don't ever talk about it, you don't believe the gospel. If it doesn't enter in and control your life, Amen. you're just a liar. Amen. Now see, I don't think that people on the out, on the surface think that they're lying, that they, they just believe that, well, knowing God is a personal thing. Well, it is a personal thing, but it's not a private thing. It's something that we should be shouting from the housetops. Why? Because it's glorious. What Jesus has done is glorious. And it's worthy of speaking about. Everyone really talks about what they love, right? I think we all know that. Everything that follows in the next nine verses of Titus chapter 2 flows from the apostle's understanding of the doctrines of Christ. The apostle knew Jesus. He, he, He spent a long time with the risen Jesus, and he knew. So what was he doing? He was sharing what he knew, just like everybody in Christ does. To the degree you have understanding, that's where you should speak. And when you do, it'll be effective because you know it. Paul's admonitions to Titus are higher than just his personal preferences. This wasn't just like Paul saying, this is what I think. Now, this is what Paul thought, but it was higher. He had received his understanding from a higher view. Jesus, we find that there are implications that are associated with knowing God. If you know God, you will order your life in a different manner than when you didn't know God. And if you don't, then see, you really don't know you've been deceived. A person, I think, in this generation can, can say, I know God. And yet they live just like the world. And you say, well, how could that be? Because they don't really know God. They've been deceived into thinking that knowing God is just a mental ascent. Yeah, I, if, if the whole thing is up to be true, I want to go to heaven. That's not good enough. If you're not laying down your life for Jesus, you're going to hell. That's just the way it is. Yeah. I know it's not fashionable to say that, but knowing God drives you to crucify the flesh. It does. Yeah, it does. And if, if it's not happening, see, what's happened? Well, there's some doctrines that promote living at ease. There's some doctrines that say, it's okay, God loves you just the way you are. Well, doctrines that promote... What Christ is presently working, see, it, it changes you. It moves you when you know what Jesus is doing at the right hand of God. Now, this is what it says. Now, I'm just going to briefly go over this because these are some practical applications. Now, he gives us these, because, and that's not just for, I've heard people say, well, that was just his generation. No, this is, he's talking about people who are made in the image of God. That's what he says, aged men. You ought to be sober. We start there. Be sober, right? That means without wine. I know some people don't want to hear that, but he's talking about you've separated yourself from what everybody else is doing in order that you can be have a sound mind. Your decisions will be rational. Sound mind. Grave. What we would call honorable. 
Be be an honorable person to where what you say is what you do. Temperate. Self-controlled. You can control yourself in the middle of controversy. You can do it. Why? Because you're connected with the head. So you're following Christ and you're letting Him move you. Self-controlled. Temperate. Sound in faith. Oh, that's... I don't think that that's been understood. It's talking about being sound in mind, looking for a reason to have charity, looking for a reason to be patient because you're doing the work of God. Sound. That's the aged men. How about the aged women? In behavior, properly represents holiness. In other words, be a, a holy representative of your age group. Think about that. Now, see, you've been, you've been an aged woman, well, been one that's been around a while and has learned, well, because they raise their own children, how to do this. See, there's everything that God involves us in is like a training program. So now, as you are built up as, as a woman, see, you, I've known women that have keen insights into things I have no idea about. I never raised children. Anyway, this is behavior that represents holiness, not false accusers. You know, we would call them busybodies or those who slander. In other words, they like to talk about other people. Don't do that. That's what he's saying. All right. Not given to much wine. Teachers of good things. I like this. Good things is in order that they may teach the younger women. Now, this has fallen to the sides in our generation. The older women, the ones that have already gone through this, are given this understanding so they might teach the younger women how to do it. And that means the younger women have to submit to the aged women so that they would... Which tells you that God does put some knowledge in other people that you need. And the only way you get it is if you'll submit to them. Love their husbands. You think, well, that's automatic. No, that's not automatic. Sometimes love means, well, you just have to love them. See, loving your husband, well, well, I'm sometimes hard to love. I'll just be honest. Sometimes I don't see things the right way, and my wife has to love me and, in her own way, help me to understand it. Now that's see, this is something we're when man and wife become one, they become one. And see, I don't have everything that my wife has. My wife doesn't have everything that I have. We have to be joint heirs in order to benefit from the relationship. Love their love their children. Be discreet, chaste, keepers at home, good, obedient to their own husbands. Oh no, wait a minute. That's just in this version, right? Obedient. That, that, why? That, the word of God, be not blasphemed. Now see this, some people look at, they want to take this right out of the Bible because, but see, this is the way God's made it. This is the way that God has arranged things so that we can grow up together and be profitable as a team. Profitable in the kingdom of God. Young men. Oh, that the young men would be exhorted this. Exhorted to be sober-minded or discreet in all things, showing themselves a pattern of good works and doctrine showing no error. Don't just buy up everything you hear. 
Filter it through your faith. Do you understand what you're saying? Does it fit in with the rest of the doctrine of Scripture? No error. See, we don't want to leave any room for error. Say, well, I I believe this, this is all good, but over here I'm just thinking about it. Just believe what's true, that's all. In doctrine showing no error. With serious, I like this, serious sincerity. Otherwise, be serious about being real for God. Amen. Don't just pretend. Sincerity. Your heart's really in it. In sound speech that cannot be condemned. Now, you know, that doesn't mean that people won't try it. People that are unsound. But see, if you have sound doctrine, you'll be able to stand up, in other words. You won't crush under the, the scrutiny of others. Servants, or we would call them employees, you're exhorted. Now, this is important. Okay, This isn't something he just threw in on the side. This is very important. You can't tell people, I'm a Christian, I'm I'm a believer, and then sloth off on your job. Because it will give a very bad report. So Paul puts us in here, servants or employees, exhorted to be obedient unto their own masters and please them in all things, Without talking back to them. Cause it a bunch of trouble. Well, I don't want to do that. Well, you signed on. You're his employee. You're working for him. He's actually paying you to be there. Then do what he tells you. That's all. I never had a problem with that personally. Because I was raised by my dad. And my dad, if he didn't do what he said, well, you found out what the, pro- the penalty was. And now employers don't usually do that. For some places they do. They get caned, right? But see, the fact is you've given yourself, you've sold yourself to your employer. Then do what he says. Now, of course, if he tells you to do something sinful, you don't have to do that. But not purloining. We would say don't steal from your employer. Yeah. Don't do it. I When I worked at Pullman Standard, oh, my goodness. It was terrible. They had to stop people at the door and check their lunch boxes every day because people were stealing things. I mean, it was like an epidemic. Well, what the Baptists were doing, I'm not against Baptists, but I'm just in this particular case, this was their group, and they wanted to have a Bible study. And they said, look, we're going to have it at between 10.30 and 11. But you had a break from 10 to 10.15. But they said, no, our Bible study is going to be half an hour long. And they went and they got a petition and they had all, everybody signed it. Of course they would, why didn't they? They get a half an hour, a half an hour extra break. They stole that from their employer. That's what they did. They, they were purloining in a way that, but they used religion to do it. Anyway, I didn't sign him. I, I told him, I signed on to work. That's what I was, I signed on to do. So let's work for the Lord. How about that? Well, they just went away. Anyway. But rather, instead of stealing, instead of stealing time from your employer, how about this? Showing all good fidelity or faithfulness. If you say, I'm going to work for eight hours, you really work for eight hours. Well, you know, it, it may seem insignificant. These things may seem well, but these things are a staple For those who are serving God, you will be honest, even in your employment. You'll be honest with those around you. You'll be real. You'll really serve God in front of the whole world. 
See, the grace of God touches every aspect of life in this world. It does. And there's nothing that you can pull back from and say, well, in this I'm going to be exempt from it because you're not. God's going to hold us accountable. We're called into a much fuller and satisfying fellowship, one in which we can know the grace of God all the time. See, you, there isn't a place you can be in this world if you're fellowshipping with Christ that His grace isn't abounding in you. Now, if it's not, well, that that's needs to be addressed. Grace is a teacher. It is a teacher. It's an instructor. And if need be, it can be a punisher. What is teaching? Well, the teaching is to train up a child, that is, educate. Or by implication, a disciple. You train them up. They don't start out at 100%. They come into kingdom and they've got to be trained. They've got to be brought up. Chastened. How about that? Chastened. Some people don't like that. The grace of God will chasten you. If you don't follow the instruction, well, you'll get the chastening. I remember that. And it, it was, I didn't really need it that long. Dad said, do it. Do it. But when I thought, well, I'll take a nap, I found out there was a penalty. When he got back, he was, he, he was loving me just as much when he whipped me as when he did, didn't whip me. I needed it. I didn't take him serious. And see, when people don't take God serious, God will give them a whipping. He'll do it. Teaching us. Titus, the verses 2.12, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly and righteously and godly in this present world. So grace is a full-time teacher. Grace doesn't like take breaks. As you, as you walk with the Lord, grace, God, grace will be either be good or be bad. And in both instances, it ends up to be good. God instructs he instructs the believer in areas that no man can teach. This is something that he knows your heart. He knows exactly what you're thinking. The grace of God is um, resilient. Then uh, in 1 John 2, 2.27 it says, But the anointing which you have received of him abideth in you, and you need not that any man teach you, but the same anointing teacheth you all things, and is truth, and is no lie. And even as it hath even as it's taught you, you shall abide in Him. Now, I added that one because see, there isn't any place in your being that is hidden from God. You may a person may think, well, God's not seeing this, but the, He is seeing it. And so that's His. Um, but when you know that, you know, like if I know that there are security cameras in every room, well, then if that's what it takes to keep you from stealing, well, that's. It should tell you something about yourself, right? If if that, that wasn't there, well, then I might take something. There's some trouble, see? But see, there there is no place you can go where God's not. God's there. If if chastisement is required, don't worry. The grace of God's up to it. It will supply it. The grace of God will supply it when when we are judged. This is 1 Corinthians 11.32. When we are judged, we are chastened to the Lord. Why? Because He hates us? No, that we should not be condemned with the world. 
You see, there's some things, very real things in you that can't get into heaven, won't get into heaven. And when, especially if they're character, part of your character, see the old man's corrupt according to deceitful lust. It's corrupt. It can't be blended with the new man. It can't. And, and when people try to blend it, they think they're blended. They're not at all. It can't be blended. It's like oil and water. It's always going to separate. And so the thing is, why? Why does God chasten us? Because we need it. We need to understand that He's serious about saving us. And now see, an obedient child, one that's always obedient, is a much happier child. It really is. I mean, there came a time when I realized, just do what He says. And it went a lot better for me. God's the same way. He is our Father, right? The grace of God can be frustrated. It can be. Now, I wouldn't recommend it, but it can be frustrated in those who do not submit to the teaching that supplies. 2 Corinthians 6 1 says, We then, as workers together with God, beseech you, we're begging you, that you receive not the grace of God in vain. In other words, you were given grace. You had a good start. You were on your way to heaven. You were pressing in. You loved God with your whole heart. You wouldn't do anything to offend God. But after time, after a little bit of a few miles down the road, the burden seemed too hard. Maybe the allurement of the world was seemed, it seemed, well, it won't hurt me so bad. You can frustrate the grace of God. When you turn away and you will not listen to what it's leading you to do, when you give yourself to the world and, and you, you develop an appetite and a love for it, well, you're on, you're on shaky ground. See, Jesus wept over the city of Jerusalem because they knew not the time of their visitation. They didn't understand that Jesus, the Messiah that was promised to them for centuries, he was right there, right there, standing in front of them. What did they do? They tried to figure out ways of killing him. What happened? They didn't know. And see, this is the thing. We're not home yet, brethren. We're not home yet. And so when you allow yourself, when you make little allowances for your old man to express himself, you're on dangerous ground. This is what Jesus said, Luke 19, 42. If thou hadst known, even thou, he's talking about them, his people, the one that God saved out of Egypt, the sons of Abraham. If thou had known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from your eyes. It's a dangerous thing to fool around with sin in the presence of God. It's a very dangerous thing. Yes, it is. And so people see, the flesh will always say, it's not so bad. It's so bad that Jesus had to die for it. And it's so bad it'll take you away from the salvation that He purchased on your behalf. See, when this happens, at first, you can kind of sense this isn't right. That's your wake-up call. 
That's the time to wait a minute. Repent and do the first works. Do it. All these things are involved in the working out of our salvation. See, this is salvation is given to us, but it's like you, you've been, you've been, God's like handed part of it over to you. What are you going to do with salvation? Are you going to allow it to save you, or are you going to go back? A lot of people have gone back, but they always go back under perdition. In other words, God, this, He doesn't fool around with this stuff. His own Son died for us. Why, why would he? See, God, God's not going to change his mind. He's not. The question is, are we going to change ours? We're involved in the working out of our salvation, and the grace of God is faithful to work in us. Now think about that. God's given us grace in order that we would be ready when he appears. One of these days, Jesus is going to appear. He's just, it's going to show up. You're not going to know about it the day before. He's going to show up. And the question is, will you be ready right at that moment? And that's how we have to live every single day of our life. We're ready. Now see, the readiness actually is the joy of the Lord. When you're ready, see, you're rejoicing in Christ. You don't want any of this stuff down here. And you're ready. You actually quite desire Him to show up today. Wouldn't it be a glorious thing if He just showed up right now? Well, if he showed up right now, what condition would we be in? And the grace of God will teach us to be ready. Amen. Looking for that blessed hope. You know, I think of that every time I read this verse. I, I remember I came out of the waters and I had a blessed hope. I was ready. I wanted to go to heaven. I wanted to be with Christ. It's a blessed hope. It's, grace will help us maintain that yeah. blessed hope. And the glorious appearing of our great God and our Savior Jesus Christ. The Lord has provided an abundant salvation. There's no reason to go back. See? It's, we go back, it's the leeks and garlic, right? And actually, if they could have made it past the Red Sea, again, it was destroyed. Right. Egypt was destroyed. Right. Just like your old life. See, it may call out, it may sound appealing, but when you get there, it's destroyed. Nothing about it's good. Now you got this nagging in your ears saying, you've sinned. You've sinned against God. What are you going to do? Repent. Is there a God's gracious? Repent. The Lord provided an abundant salvation as we set our focus on the one who saved us from the wrath to come. The hope that we have hope. See, he's, he's not going to abandon us. He's not. We have to stay with him. The grace of God's firmly rooted and motivated to produce God's will in all those he's given to his son. Everyone that God has given to Christ will come to him and Christ will not cast them out. So then how do people fall away? Well, it's not because Jesus cast them out. It's because they went out. Well, see, this is the, the, this this message is about the grace of God is given to teach us how to stay in Christ, how to remain, and how to bear fruit. It's made possible. The grace of God is actually right for God to give because Jesus died for our sin, who gave Himself for us that He might redeem us from all iniquity and 
purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. There's no way that those who are defiled could save themselves. We were absolutely powerless. But Jesus, but Christ came. And he came by order of the Father. He sent him into the world to take upon himself the sin of the whole world. And then to die, to take him away. Descend into the depths here, then rise from the dead and ascend into heaven so we could have grace. God's grace is, is able. It enables. It's powerful. There's no way. Now it says, for in Adam all die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. Now, technically, everyone's going to be made alive at the end. Not in this sense. They're all going to get a body like unto his glorious body. The general resurrection of the dead. See, Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, everyone whose sins he took away is going to rise from the dead. Now, some of us, if we are alive and remain, will be changed, right? In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. But see, we're all going to be given the same body. It's a spiritual body, right? It's an eternal body. We're raised from the dead, incorruptible. In other words, our, that old man, we gone. Now, now, this is whatever, however you are. In Revelation, it says it like this. He that is filthy, let him be filthy still. Right? Whoever's just, let him be just still. Whoever's holy, right? Let him be holy still. The thing is, is that if you're walking in Christ, if you're taking advantage of the grace that God's given you, and, and, you're, and you're, you're longing to be with the Lord, the resurrection is going to be the greatest day. See, you're going to get a body that's perfectly in harmony with your new man. And it's going to be quite an amazing experience that you'll have a body that agrees with you. Right? You'll say, let's go up to the mountain of the Lord in your body. You'll say, yes! Let's go up! Be filled with vigor! Eternal body. But what if you have an, an old nature? What if you have denied Christ? And you didn't want that man to rule over you. You, you had it. You were in charge. Nobody can stop you. And you take that defiled nature and you put it into a holy body. Now that is torment. See, where the worm dieth not, there's technically people are constructing their own torments right now. They're giving themselves the things that God hates. Giving them things that will torment. Well, one of these days when they get cast into the lake of fire in this new body that can't die, they're going to be tormented forever and ever. I, I, we really cannot fully describe either event. We can't fully know what it means to have this. We can long for it and we can understand that it's good. But it's going to be so much more glorious than we've ever comprehended. And the other side is true too. You know, to, to, to be separated or absent from God forever in a body that can't sin and yet you want to sin all the time. I don't know that we can comprehend that. And that might be a good thing. God has determined. See, this is something that God's done. He's determined to bring many sons to glory. 
And in grace, we're getting to, to, uh, to, uh, to be a participant in it. Grace enables us to participate in glory. Christ hath redeemed us. This is something that He really has done. He's redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it's written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles. We're all Gentiles here. We're all Gentiles. So this blessing came on you, right? Through Jesus Christ, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. How did God accomplish this? Jesus took our place. We were the ones that sinned. Jesus never sinned. Romans 5.17 For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive an abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, they shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Jesus purchased this grace for us, as it were. Where God could give it to us, it could be a manifold grace, one that just gets better and better and better, and it's manifold in that it's, it's, it covers the whole person. There isn't a part of you that grace doesn't affect. Now it's true that Noah did find grace in the eyes of the Lord. That's true. And for that, he and his whole family were saved. Lot was delivered from Sodom because God remembered Abraham. And the grace of God saves man today because God remembers Christ. It's not because of works of righteousness that we've done were saved. It's because He is at the right hand of God. Jesus is there. The risen Christ is there. He's our great high priest and things pertaining to God. And as, as you, as you're given grace, as you come to, to God, now see where we have to abide in Him. And this really is a complicating factor. Isn't that a one-time event happened? It's that you abide in Him. Why? Why did God program it this way or arrange it this way? Because as we abide in Him, we cast off the works of darkness in a more profound way. See, when you first come to Christ, you didn't really understand everything that was going on. He saved you. He put you into Christ. You believe that Jesus is the Christ. The Son of the living God, He put you into Christ. But now your journey... It's gonna, you're gonna see why he put you in Christ. You're gonna understand that, that denying ungodliness is part of the thing. Part of, part of walking with Christ. You deny things that are against him. See, this is all he's teaching our hands to make war because it, there's a war. It's a real war. Grace of God. It saves man. Now the heavens acknowledge this fact. Look at this. This is Revelation 5, 7 to 10. And he came and took the book. Remember, this was the one that laid down his life. This was the Christ. Took the book out of the right hand that sat on the throne. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and the twenty, four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb. Every, every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song. What did they sing? Thou art worthy to take the book. See, before this, there was nobody before Jesus. Who could do the purpose of God? He wants to bring many sons to glory. Amen. There was no way. Amen. And Jesus made a way through his own death. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain. It's still remembered in heaven today. 
Jesus laid down His life so we could have life. And as we're in Him, God gives us grace to make sure we make it there. Amen. And, and it, is, it will do the job. Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Christ is risen again. You know that because people are are given His Holy Spirit. People are accepted in heaven. There's no way that that didn't happen before Jesus rose from the dead. That didn't happen. But now Jesus, seated at the right hand of God, is administrating the kingdom. God's giving him his inheritance. These now, the last verse, and then we'll close. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. The thing is, is that when you're walking with Christ and, and, and you've been given grace, see, the thing is, is that the things that you do in the spirit, nobody can, can, can judge you on those things. As you live for God, as you press in, if somebody comes and complains, so what? See, the thing is that you've been authorized to, to serve God. Nobody can stop that. They can kill you, but they can't stop you serving God. This is something that God's given you. You, you, he put you into Christ. Nobody can take you out of Christ. Nobody. So don't let anybody try. This devil, he tried to arrange all kinds of arrangements where he can try to talk you out of it. You've been given all authority in this area. You can stay in Christ. Amen. See, this is something that God's given you. So, see, don't stop talking about Jesus. Don't start, don't stop exhorting people when you see it. Sometimes I need to be exhorted. Well, see, the, in the body of Christ, God, God exhorts me. Somebody will get up. They don't know they're exhorting me. They'll talk about what they've seen and it'll exhort me. We need this. We need to, 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 as we minister one to another, realize that, see, God's, God's, this is God doing this. This is God's church. Let no man despise thee. Now, 1 Thessalonians 4, 8 says, He therefore that despiseth, despiseth not man, but God. Why would somebody have a problem with me being a believer? Because they don't like God. So see, really, when you see it that way, when you see that they're not really coming against me personally, they're coming against the fact that Christ is in me. Now, it's easy, one, it's easier to take, and then you know the defense. Amen. See, you just preach it anyway. <laughs> He's given unto us by His Holy Spirit. Well, thank you, brother, for... Um, listening, and I thank God that we have been given grace to overcome.